0: This morning, oh, Allison and Elizabeth, thank you so much. Great lead into preaching. It really is just to have your heart just thrilled with not only the music but the words. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me, if you have a Bible with you, to Second Peter, chapter three, verses fourteen through eighteen. Second Peter, chapter three, verses fourteen through eighteen. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have some Bibles in the compartments and the chairs in front of you. And also, I read a good article this week, sometimes pastors just need good reminders. Um, Maybe you're here this morning and you've never used a Bible before, and I want you to know that's okay. We are so grateful that you are here and if you just want to listen, I'm going to read all the verses that, that I'm going to talk about this morning. So if you just want to listen as I read, that's okay too. We just want you to know that this morning. So we're grateful for each and every single person who is here. We're coming to the end of a study of the book of Second Peter. So over the last year, we will have gone through First Peter and at the end of the day today, through 2 Peter, we will have covered both. So we come to the very end of 2 Peter, verses 14 through 18, and let me read those verses for you. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to or excuse me given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, our first point this morning is, therefore, Peter comes to an important transition as he closes out his Letter. So, that therefore refers to everything he's just said in the first 13 verses of chapter 3. So, based upon what Peter has just written in the first 13 verses of chapter 3, he exhorts us as Christians to live righteous lives in Christ. So, let me just very briefly go back over with you what those first 13 verses are about last week we had our missionaries Phil and Kitty McMillan with us so it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in our study so let me just remind you Peter starts out in this chapter by saying I am stirring up your sincere mind I want to disturb you is what he says I want to disturb you out of your complacency I want you to remember the word of God I want you to be glued to the word of God I want you to know the Old Testament and I want you to know the New Testament because in the last days, scoffers will come. Mark it down. Have it etched in your mind. In the last days, scoffers will come and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is Jesus? Every year goes on and on just like it always does. So where is he? You say he's coming. You say that God is going to bring judgment, but where is it? Where is it? Every day the sun rises, the sun sets. Every year the seasons come, every day the tide comes in and the tide goes out, and yet I don't see Jesus coming. I want you to know this. Scoffers will come in the last days. And Peter says, those scoffers, they deliberately overlook some things. They deliberately overlook this fact. First of all, they deliberately overlook the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. They deliberately overlooked the fact that God judged the world with a flood before. So God intervened in history before and he will intervene in history again. You can be sure of it because God is going to judge the current heavens and the earth by fire. And as I have shared with you towards the end of this series, Second Peter chapter 3 is the key chapter in all of the Bible that God is going to judge the current heaven and the current earth by fire. He is. And when he does that, he will cleanse them of all evil. Now, I want to clarify this for you because a couple of weeks ago when I preached on this, I received some or, or had some really good feedback. And I always appreciate that from you. I do when you give me feedback on... My message and it helps me and it sharpens my mind and I realize sometimes there are things I say that may not have been as clear as they could have been and so when I say or when the Bible teaches that God is going to judge heaven and earth by fire it's really the best way to think of it is as a cleansing some theologians call it a cataclysmic transformation and cleansing think back On our understanding of the flood. When God brought the flood during the days of Noah. God didn't destroy the earth. He cleansed the earth. Are you with me on that? God didn't destroy the earth. He cleansed the earth. It'll be the same thing when he brings judgment upon the current heaven and the current earth. He will bring a cleansing fire. However. However, this cleansing will be so thorough so complete that the Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, people may say, well, this is taking so long. I mean, for us, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus came. We don't see his coming. When is this judgment going to come? And Peter says, you need to remember something. All of us need to remember something, and that is with the Lord, A day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God doesn't see time like we see time. God doesn't think about time as we think about time. And remember what I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. God sees all of time all at once. God sees all of time all at once. He sees the beginning to the end. He sees it in one big picture. He does. So God is seeing That he's right on schedule and he isn't delaying, but his timetable is perfect. And remember this, Peter says, God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason God is delaying, the reason that God is patient, is because he is so filled with compassion and love. And God is waiting for people to be saved. Maybe some of you even here this morning, he is waiting for you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, to embrace the free gift of salvation that he offers to you. But in verse 10 of chapter 3, Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, notice that, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. For those who do not know Christ, for those who mock him, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will come suddenly, and it will come unexpectedly. And then he kind of brings it all together in, this, in the previous section in verses 11 through 13. He says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which, notice he says it again. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that brings us to verse 14. That brings us to our text this morning, and Peter says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these waiting for what waiting for the coming of the lord waiting for the heavens and earth to be judged by fire since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found by him without spot excuse me without spot or blemish and at peace peter wants us to be so diligent that when jesus returns He'll find us without spot or blemish and at peace. Without spot refers to our Christian character. We talk about character qualities. Our Christ-like character. That is our integrity, our holiness, our righteousness. It is who we really are as a person. Without blemish refers to our reputation. It is who we are before a watching world. Peter is saying, don't let the world accuse you of evil doing. Don't let the world accuse you of wrongdoing. but be without blemish. And then he says, and at peace. Peace here refers to God-given peace. There are different ways in which the word peace is used in Scripture. Sometimes, for example, it refers to our peace with God. That through Christ, though we were once God's enemies and in rebellion against him, we are now through Christ at peace with him. That is not how it's used here. This is talking about an experiential peace. It is the peace described in Philippians chapter 4. The peace that passes all understanding. Peter says, I want you to be at peace. And here's the thought. You know, based on the word of God, that the heavens and the earth are going to be judged with fire. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you know Jesus is coming. And you know what? You can say, I'm good. I'm good. You know why I'm good? Because I'm at peace. I'm good because I am at peace with God. I have experienced the peace that transcends, that passes all understanding. So Lord, let your plan go forth. Lord, Lord Jesus, come. Come in your time, come in your way because I have a settled peace in you. And you may be saying, How can I do this? I mean, I think of how one of our elders, Jim Davis, prayed this morning and we are so unworthy and and we struggle to live the Christian life in God's strength and grace each and every day. How can we do this? How can we, when Jesus comes, be without spot, be without blemish and have this peace, that overwhelms us. How can we do that? Well, the answer is found in the very first chapter of this book. It's 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, where it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great Promises. I remember preaching on that early in this series and, and saying to you, there is no way I could possibly do justice to everything that is found in these two verses. But let us know this, that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. In Christ, we have everything we need to live a godly life. Think of what Peter is saying here. God has granted us two huge things. Two huge things. He has, his divine power has granted to us all things, everything that pertain to life and godliness. Second, verse four, his divine power has granted to us his precious and very great promises. He has given us the word of God. He has given us his inerrant, fully, authoritative word as our guide and direction, everything we need for faith and practice. Well, our second point is until Jesus comes. We long for the return of our Savior, but in the meantime, we make him known to the world in the way that we live and in our gospel witness. We are to crave the coming of Jesus. We are to long for him to come. We are to say, come Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, our responsibility as Christians is to make him known to the world. From St. John's all the way to the ends of the earth to the most unreached people groups of the world, we are to make him known. And we do that by living for him and making his gospel known and being a gospel witness. In verse 15, it says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. The reason Jesus has not returned yet, and we all need to have this clear in our minds, the reason he hasn't returned yet is because there are more people that are going to be saved. He is bringing in his church. He is bringing in his bride. And he is patiently waiting for people to repent and to place their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. And he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. It's the very same thing that he said in verse 9 of this chapter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Historians, and understandably so, divide history into different ages. We have the Dark Ages. We have the Renaissance. We have the Enlightenment. We have the industrial age, or the industrial revolution. And that helps us, because as human beings, we want to know that history means something. We want to know that history is headed in some kind of purposeful direction. But as children of God, as Christians, though we acknowledge those ages, We see things differently because we see time from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. We see that whole period of time as the age of salvation. That whole period of time, sometimes called the church age, is the age of salvation. And we say the Savior has come and he has opened the way to God. And we want everyone to know that. The Savior has come. Let them know that in every people group of every part of the world, the Savior has come. And he has opened the way to God. The Bible says one day the door will be closed. And the time of salvation will end. One day, the door will close. And there will be no more salvation. But until that day, until that day, let us proclaim to every person with every breath that we have, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is our message. That is the age of salvation. That is why God has been so patient in his coming so that we can say to everyone, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So when Jesus returns, and the age of salvation is over, all that will matter is, do you know Jesus Christ as your savior? It's the only thing that's going to matter. There is an old saying that is very true, that in the end, there will only be two kinds of people, those who know Jesus and those who don't, those who are saved and those who are not. So we can be fascinated by historical events We can be fascinated by the rapid advancement of technology, especially in our lifetimes. But in the end, in the end, the only thing that will matter is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And as we wait for Jesus, and as we will proclaim his glorious gospel, we are to give ourselves to the careful study of God's word. Until Jesus comes, let each and every one of us, man, woman, boy, girl, let every single one of us give ourselves in total abandonment to the study of the Bible, to the study of God's word. At the end of verse 15, in the first part of verse 16, it says this, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Peter, here, refers to the writings of Paul. Isn't that interesting? The letters of the Apostle Paul were already circulating rapidly among the early church. And here we have two of the great pillars of the early church, Peter and Paul. And this is actually a really important passage of Scripture on the inspiration of the Bible. Because Peter says here that Paul's writings are on equal footing with Scripture, the Scripture of the Old Testament. Go quickly down to the end of verse 16 where it says, and we'll look at this in just a minute, that ignorant and unstable people twist Paul's words to their own destruction. Notice the end of verse 16, as they do the other scriptures. That's a great statement. As they do the other scriptures. So he's equating Paul's writings with all of scripture. But he says here that Paul also wrote about the patience of the Lord in the age of salvation our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letter when he speaks in them of these matters these matters are God's patience in the age of salvation let me give you two examples Romans chapter two and verse four or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You know why God is patient? Do you know why God is so kind and so merciful? Because He wants you to come to repentance and salvation. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse two. Paul says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Well, at the end of verse 16, he says these, this, excuse me, of Paul's writings. There are some things in them, in Paul's writings, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. He says there are some things... In Paul's letters that are hard to understand. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I say, Amen. There are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. And you know what? That's okay. It is. Because He is the infinite, all wise God, and we are finite, sinful people, not everything's going to come to us real easy. And I want to say to all of you, and I think this is an important Bible study principle, don't avoid those passages that seem hard to you or difficult to you. Dive in. Dive in. You will find some of the greatest riches in the Bible are found in those difficult passages. But they are there. And again, we're not to avoid them, but to pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit, to study like good and diligent students of God's word. So, let us remember this morning to explore the depths of the beauty and treasure that is found in God's word. It takes careful and accurate study and preparation. Careful and accurate study and interpretation. It does. We need to carefully give ourselves to the study of the Word of God. It is always well worth it. And let me say something to you this morning. Very important for us as Bible students. Biblical interpretation is a matter of life and death. We need to be careful how... We interpret the word of God. That's why James says in James chapter 3 and verse 1, let not many of you desire to be teachers because those who are teachers will be judged with greater strictness. So be careful, teachers. Bible interpretation is a matter of life and death because here's why. False teachers like to take hard passages of Scripture and twist and distort them. There are entire false religions based upon distortions of hard passages of Scripture. Complete twisting of difficult passages of Scripture. That's why Peter says, the end of verse 16, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And so he says in verse 17, you therefore, beloved, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now it doesn't say you will lose your salvation, it says you will lose your stability. What that means there is you can potentially, by listening to teachers who recklessly teach the Word of God, they can cause you to doubt the things that you know are true. It literally means you can lose your doctrinal stability. You can lose your supreme confidence in the essential teachings of the Bible. Don't let that happen to you. It is a final warning on Peter's part of false teachers. Do not, do not, do not listen to false teachers. Every one of us must commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves over and over again that we will not carelessly, casually, or flippantly handle the word of God, but we will diligently and carefully be students of the Word of God, and we will not be swayed by those who twist and distort Scripture. That's why we spent so much time in chapter 2 of 2 Peter. I shared with you five sermons out of 2 Peter chapter 2. One of the key sections in all of the New Testament on the subject of false teachers. Peter says, this is a very important subject well that brings us to the end it brings us to verse 18 verse 18 provides us with the key truth for resisting false teachers for eagerly waiting for the return of Christ and for living a righteous life until he comes well that's a mouthful because verse 18 is really important verse 18 is the key to resisting false teachers. It is the key to eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. It is the key for living a righteous life until Jesus comes. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter actually ends the exact same way he began the letter. So he begins and ends the same way. In 1 Peter 1, in verse 2, he writes this. Excuse me, yes, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 2, he writes, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord and now he says the same thing in a slightly different way but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ first of all he says grow in grace I want all of you to grow in grace I want you to grow in the undeserved unearned unmerited favor and goodness of God I want you to know That in our natural state, we were sinful, rebellious men and women deserving of eternal wrath and punishment. But in Christ, we have been given salvation and we have been given sanctification. We have been given the ability in Christ to live a righteous life and to look forward to his coming. Grow in grace. Grow in what it means to know his undeserved kindness and goodness. John Piper writes this. I want you to listen to this carefully. I found it a great quote. He writes, After Jesus, there is no sweeter word in all the Bible than grace. It is the greatest unused resource in all the world. It is the wealth of God's kindness, the riches of his mercy, the soothing ointment of his forgiveness, the free and undeserved but lavishly offered hope of eternal life. Grace is what we crave when we are guilt-laden. Grace is what we must have when we come to die. Grace is our only ray of hope when the future darkens over with storm clouds of fear oh grow in grace and the way we grow in grace is we grow in the knowledge of our lord and savior Jesus Christ aren't you glad i am that he uses both titles lord and savior i want you to grow in the knowledge of your savior I want you to know that he is the one who has forgiven you, that he is the one who has rescued you from damnation, that he is the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to know him. I want you to grow in the knowledge of what it means to say Jesus is my Savior. But not only that, I want you to grow in the knowledge of what it means to call him Lord. To know he is the Lord of every single area of your life, bar none. He is the Lord of every single area of your life. You live under his authority. He is your king. He is your master. Your greatest desire is to obey him, to know him, and to obey him. How do we grow in knowledge? Let me offer three suggestions. First, we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, first and most importantly, through his word. Through what we have just looked at this morning, by giving ourselves as careful students of the word of God, and in everything we study, hungering and thirsting and longing for Jesus in all of our study. Secondly, we grow in our knowledge as we experience sweet fellowship with him. Every day. We don't want our knowledge to be merely academic. We want it to be real. We want to experience fellowship with Christ. The sweetness of it. The joy of it. Each and every day as we walk with him. Third, we grow in knowledge of Jesus. As we eagerly wait for him. If you really are longing for him to come. If you can't wait till he returns, you're going to want to know everything you can about him. I want to know everything about this Savior, this Lord who's coming for me. I want to know everything I can. And so at the end of verse 18, he says to him, to Jesus, be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And amen. I want you to think with me this morning as we close. Jesus Christ lives in you. Jesus Christ lives in me. Through the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christ lives in me and all of his finished work on the cross has been applied to me. There is an incredible power that resides in every one of us. And I think we get caught so, or get caught up in our daily lives so much that we just, we just don't realize that, as we should put myself at the top of the lap, that list. One of my favorite singers, songwriters, in Christian music is Jeremy Camp. Jeremy Camp has a lot of good songs, a lot of good songs. I couldn't pick just one favorite but one of his favorites for me is his song Same Power that came out in 2015 and I just want to read you the chorus of that song. It says this, it says the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us. Lives in us. Do you ever think about that? That power lives in us. No one, no one has said this better than the Apostle Paul has in Ephesians chapter 1. And some of you may remember this. About a year and a half ago, I did a whole series of messages on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And in Ephesians 1, Paul prays this. He says, I want you to know. I want every one of you to know the immeasurable the immeasurable greatness of the power that is in us who believe. The power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places above all rule, above all authority, above all power, above all dominion, and gave him the name that is above every name, Paul says, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of the power that lives in you who believe. Wow, that's power. That's Jesus in us. As you will see in your bulletins today and when the newsletter that just came out I'm going to be teaching this year another Bible Institute class for men. This year, I'm going to be teaching a class on victory and spiritual warfare. And as men, we're going to be looking at what it means to put on the full armor of God. Not just occasionally. Not just sometimes. But every day. Did you know that the armor of God... Can be summarized in two words. Did you know that? The armor of God can be summarized in two words Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the armor of God. We are to put on Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, it says this clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says the exact same thing in verse 18 when he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to close in just a moment with another song written and sung by Keith and Kristen Getty who will be with us at the end of September It is the song, Come People of the Risen King. And as you sing that song, as we close this morning, I want you to think about that. We, as we gather today in this auditorium, we are the people of the risen King. Ladies, you are the daughters of the risen King. Men, you are the sons of the risen King. And as children of the risen King, let us grow. Let us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his salvation. Thank you for his life that is in us right now. Lord, help us, help each and every person here to long for, to desire, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we always pray. Amen.